Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Out for the Blind, I'm Brian McCallan. Team USA and the Baltimore Sun report that blind swimmer Brad Snyder just won three gold and one silver medal in the Rio Paralympics. But the road to earning gold wasn't easy for this strong fish. The Baltimore Sun and ABC News say that an improvised explosive device or an IED detonation blinded the former Navy lieutenant while he was in Afghanistan in 2011. Snyder had a long road to recovery, and he found a new purpose through his lifelong passion of swimming. Brad became a Paralympian, practiced hard, and won two gold medals, both in the 400 and 1500 meter freestyle heats. Snyder continued competing and won three gold medals in the 1500 and 400 meter freestyle events during the 2015 International Paralympic Committee, or IPC, Swimming World Championships. He's also the current world record holder in the 100-meter freestyle for blind swimmers. Brad is here to tell us about his exciting swimming adventure. Hi, Brad. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Outstanding. I'm doing outstanding, too. Let's get to know you first. ABC News says that you became interested in swimming at a very early age. Why did you get hooked on swimming? I, I grew up in Florida surrounded by water, and so it was always a family affair to head down to the beach and play in the waves. And one of my fondest memories with my dad is paddling out past the break and watching pelicans fly by. So I've been in the water for as long as I can remember. It was when I was 11, my father took me to the local you know, community recreation pool to try out for the swim team. And pretty immediately fell in love with it because of this idea that um, the hard work paid off. You know, I, I was really the worst kid on the swim team at that particular point. But uh, after working hard for a week or two or three, then all of a sudden I wasn't the worst kid and then worked my way up the ladder uh, that way. Wow, you definitely learned how to work hard. We're going to get more into that hard work in a minute. But when you turned 11, your dad asked you to direct your energy into for swimming into something productive. What was that productive thing? Well, I, I uh, you know, I, my dad took me to the pool originally because I was a bit of a, an active kid. Uh, sometimes I was, I got caught taking apart things I shouldn't have taken apart, like the dresser or the VCR. <laughs> um, so instead of being destructive with my energy, my, my dad thought we could be constructive with it and put it towards athletics. Um, and he was, he was very correct in that assumption, being able to direct my energy towards athletics uh, not only got me in good shape, but it, it kind of taught me uh, what it meant to be a competitive athlete. It, it, it set the foundation for competitive mindset and uh, the value of virtue, what it meant to be dedicated to something. And all of those things uh, ended up laying a foundation for my desire to serve. You really made swimming productive. In fact, you got into competitive swimming. Tell us more about some of the major pre-Paralympic swim meets that you participated in? I competed at uh, uh, all, all different levels from uh, kind of junior age group style competition down in Florida 
Um, and as my career developed and as my swimming developed, I raised the ranks through then state level competitions, both on the USA swimming side as well as high school uh, state co championships. Uh, my high school, Northeast High School, was actually the state runner-up my junior year of high school in 2001. Um, and then at that point, I also earned uh, junior national level cuts at making me eligible for the Grand Prix series. Uh, so I traveled to a couple different meets. I had the opportunity to swim in a heat with Phelps, though he probably doesn't remember that. And uh, But at, around the same time, I was training with uh, someone who was trying out for the Olympic team, Robert Margalis, and uh, he was far and away uh, a better swimmer than I ever could have imagined to become. And I knew at that point uh, in my life that Olympic caliber swimming was not in the cards for me. However, I was good enough to compete at a Division I level, so I started to look at what college options were open to me, and thankfully, the, the Naval Academy was interested in an athlete of my caliber, so it kind of worked out really well. Before we get into that Naval Academy in the Navy, you got to swim with the Michael Phelps? The Michael Phelps? I did, a long time ago. Wow, that's really awesome. Your website, BrantSnyderUSA.com, says that you began your professional job as the U.S. Navy's newly commissioned ensign. Before that, you did graduate with a degree in naval architecture from the U.S. Naval Academy. Was this a bachelor's or a master's degree, and how did you apply your education and even your swimming to the Navy? Yeah, it was a Bachelor's of Science in Naval Architecture, and uh, I think, you know, none of the direct skills or expertise I learned in, through, that, through that major were directly applicable to my naval career. However, the skill sets I learned, and in, in when, I, when I started, I wasn't a very good student my freshman year, and I really learned kind of trial by fire. I, I started off with pretty poor grades at the Naval Academy, was frequently on the unsatisfactory list as far as my cumulative GPA and things like that. So I had to learn, rapidly learn better study habits uh, and, and and work really hard. And I think to that point, I had worked really hard in the pool in high school, but school always came really easy to me. I never had to work very hard in my classes to earn A's and, and a couple B's here and there. All of a sudden, I was looking at mostly D's with a couple C's here and there. So um, I, I really had to change change my, my study habits, change uh, my my time management and things like that. Um, so the four years I learned, I, I, I spent at the Naval Academy really taught me how to kind of organize myself in a way that would set me up for success and being able to use those, those, those changes, it allowed me to succeed, uh, as an officer in the Navy where the demands on you are to one, be a leader, but also learn a subject matter expertise in things that are pretty difficult, i.e., uh, explosive hazards, you know, and explosive hazards take multiple different forms and we have to learn all of them. So, uh, you know, I think it was the, the Naval Academy that kind of instilled in me an appreciation for virtue, but also uh, refined my study habits and time management skills that allowed me to succeed as a Naval officer. ABC News says you're a retired Navy lieutenant, but how did you speak out to be promoted from ensign to lieutenant? That happened while I was active duty. And to be honest with you, the first two promotions as an officer in the Navy are borderline automatic. It's just a after two years in the Navy, you're promoted from ensign to lieutenant junior grade is O2, and you're automatically promoted at two years, and then from at an additional two years to so four years total, you're automatically promoted to lieutenant, so long as you're in good standing with the Navy pending no major conduct offenses or things like that. So I was a lieutenant 
in 2010 and onward. So I retired as a lieutenant in 2013. Yeah, definitely being a good boy helped you out with that. And Team USA and ABC News say that you lost your vision in an IED explosion while you were serving in the Navy in Afghanistan in 2011. Maybe tell us about some of your experience with with that incident. Yeah, so um, in 2011, I was deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan as a part of a, an assault team that was tasked with uh, training and escorting on operations these Afghan commandos, especially uh, eff- effectively the Afghan version of special forces. And so uh, we would work with them on base and teach them tactics and uh, how to use their weapons and how to conduct assaults. And then we would actually go out on missions with them targeting Taliban, uh, Taliban fighters, areas where Taliban were known to be, and seek out to mitigate the Taliban's overall influence on the Kandahar area. Um, we conducted probably about 27 to 30 different combat operations between April of 2011 all the way through September, when on one such operation, I, was, uh, I stepped on an improvised landmine that detonated about a foot and a half in front of me and ended up uh, resulting in the loss of my vision. I was very fortunate to largely walk away mostly unharmed. However, I did take a good amount of damage to my face all the scars healed up real nice except for my eyes, which are obviously very delicate organs. In the ensuing weeks, I had to learn how to adapt to a new lifestyle as a blinded individual and uh, found my way into the swimming pool as a way to kind of pick up those pieces and kind of redefine who I was, what my capabilities were, and, and what my purpose would be uh, in the future. And you really became subdued into that idea that both hard work pays off and that the harder you work, the more payoff there is. How did you work hard despite your blindness, and how did that pay off? I think that the the hard work pays off mentality is something that really became integral in my character, and so I don't. I think it's just the way that I attack each day, um, and also challenge is a way of life for me as well. And I think that that started in the pool. It became a part of my schoolwork. Obviously, my schoolwork was a huge challenge when I was at the Naval Academy, and then. Once you graduate the Naval Academy and go into the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Pipeline, you're learning all sorts of different things from how to take apart a guided missile to how to render safe an ejection seat out of a jet, all all the way to grenades, landmines, rockets, and and what have you. Um, Each one of those things is very difficult in and of itself. Uh, So you get really used to, day one, I don't know anything about this particular uh, tactic, tool, or procedure, but by day five, I want to have mastered it. There wasn't a lot of time lost starting to think about at, the, at least at the beginning, you know, what's my life going to be like? How do I feel about living in the dark? And am I claustrophobic because I can't see? Or we just went right into, well, what are we going to do? You know, how do I get from one place to another? Here's your cane. Here's a talking iPhone. Here's this. Here's that. Here's the other thing. Here's how to use them. All right, now let's, let's go use those in the real world. Let's figure out how to order food at a restaurant, how, how to get on the bus, how to get on an airplane, how to get a guide dog. You know, one thing led into the other. And really, I just kind of just aimed to... Every skill that I needed to have, whether it was cane walking or using my phone, I wanted to master that skill. Um, I was very competitive about it. If there was a blind guy out there who did it better than me, I wanted to figure out how to do it better than him. And that's kind of the mindset I took into blindness. And it allowed me to, I'm still competitive about it. I'm definitely not the best blind guy out there. I have a lot to learn about basically everything that has to do with blindness, but I'm better and better and better each day and each day. That kind of mindset is what we took to the pool. The pool originally just started as a way, something I could that could take my mind off of uh, the struggles of day-to-day life, something I could use to show my family the mindset I had about how this wasn't going to get me down. 
honestly, it took a life of its own once we realized that I was competitive in the Paralympic realm. So I feel really fortunate that we were able to find that as an avenue of rehab and recovery. And it was really integral in me being able to redefine my purpose and sense of uh, sense of identity. All of that paid off, Brad, when you participated in the 2012 London Paralympics and you won two gold medals. What swimming events did you win the two medals in and how did you speak out to get accepted on the U.S. team and win these major prizes? So uh, in, in London, I swam seven different events because leading into the games, we really didn't know what I was capable of. We had had some really great races, earned some really great time standards, but you know, in swimming, we do this thing called shave and taper. You work really hard all season long, and then you rest down and you shave all the hair off your body so that you can go as fast as possible. And uh, we kind of believe there's a lot of magic associated with this taper, and sometimes you do things you didn't think you were capable of. Um, and we didn't really know where that magic was going to be. Was it going to be in the 100 butterfly? Was it going to be in the freestyle events? So for me, it ended up being the 100-meter freestyle was my first race, um, and I swam a ridiculously fast preliminary heat way faster than I expected to go um, ended up coming coming back seated first and then was able to win that race and I really didn't expect that and it really uh, showed me what I was capable of and got me excited for the rest of the week then the the, 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 the the pinnacle of that experience was racing on September 7 2012 because that was what we call my alive day I, I got I lost my vision in Afghanistan uh, on September 7 2011. And then on, uh, exactly a year later, I was competing for Team USA in London, and I was able to win the 400-meter freestyle on that day, so I won a gold. And, and that's really kind of a remarkable transition for myself and my family. I, I joke with my coach, like, you can't write a better sports story, which is funny because we tried to. I, I just released a book on September 6th that, that chronicles that whole story, from, kind of from being a kid and then deciding to go to the Naval Academy all the way through uh, the pinnacle of the book or the climax of the book being winning a gold medal on the year anniversary of the, the loss of my vision. So it was a remarkable story and a remarkable journey and something that I'm, I'm prideful to say is, is part of a book that's just out now called Fire in My Eyes. Um, and I'm proud of the work that I did with my co-author Tom Saleo and it's been, it's been a fun journey. That's marvelous. We're going to talk more about how to get that book very soon, but this is all amazing. But let's back up. How and why did you decide to become a Paralympian? I heard that it came from a very special phone call from the Association of Blind Athletes. Yep, absolutely. So competing as a para-athlete was definitely not my idea. And in fact, when it was brought up at the beginning, I was somewhat resistant to it. I, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder and, and didn't really like the term disabled veteran. I didn't like the term disabled. I, did, I had a lot of kind of angst built up against uh, the fact that I, I, did, I did have a disability. You know, I didn't want anyone to perceive me that way. I wanted to be the fully capable person I had been for 27 years. So I thought the, the way forward for me to catch up with my peers it was to go get an MBA and figure out how to use my computer and all that sort of thing. So when someone brought up this idea of swimming, I thought, well, that's kind of an unwanted distraction from what I'm trying to do. I got this phone call from Rich Cardillo, who used to be the military outreach coordinator for the Association for Blind Athletes based out of Colorado Springs, and he suggested that I try all these different sports, track and field and um, shot put and discus and all this other stuff, and I, I kind of, I told him, I appreciate it, but let me think about it, let me sleep on it and whatever, and so we had a great call, but then I, I hung up the phone and, and didn't really think about it. I got a call a week later, and it's Rich again, and Rich says, look, I know you're thinking about it, but... Don't think about it for too long because if you have any interest in competing as a para-athlete, you need to do X, Y, and Z by a certain date. 
So at this particular time, it was January of 2012, and the deadline to be classified and brought into the Paralympic realm was February. So I had only about two months. So I said, okay, well, I don't want to turn this down. Let, let's figure out a way. And with Rich's help, we were able to get classified as an S11 swimmer, which means I'm completely blind. I flew out to the Olympic Training Center uh, in Colorado Springs for a swim meet called the Jimmy Flowers Special Swim Meet. I swam a couple races and was able to earn the time standards necessary to join the national team. And from there, one thing led to another, and it started to pick up speed very quickly. And the next, you know, eight months from February to September went by very fast. Wow, this is amazing. Now, back to your professional swimming accomplishments. You participated in the 2015 IPC International Paralympic Committee Swimming World Championships. You won and competed for three gold medals in the 50-meter, 100-meter, 400-meter freestyle events. And you also hold the world record in 100-meter freestyle for blind swimming. What did it take to earn these medals and rankings? So uh, it's interesting you brought up the world championships. I did win the, the three events at last year's world championships in 2015 at, in Scotland. Uh, but in, during those three races, I actually came up about a tenth, a tenth slower than the world record in the 100-meter freestyle. And so Ooh, I, I really wanted to set that, and um, that's what I was able to do in Rio. So going, going backward a little bit, for, for me, while London was a remarkable story and represented so much uh, a, a amazing accomplishment for myself and my family to be able to kind of take, take a very traumatic instance and turn it into something positive, by and large, I didn't feel as though I had really, you know, earned my spot there. You know, I, it's kind of like I was just in good shape when I got hurt in Afghanistan. We got into the pool, and, and while I worked hard, I didn't feel like I had worked as hard as I would have needed to to be a sustainable world champion or something along those lines. So my goal coming down to London was if I trained for only eight months and was able to do what I did in London, what would happen if I trained for four years and uh, then competed in Rio? And the goal was... Instead, in, in, in London, I, I lost the 50 to Bones and Yang out of China. My goal was to win that race. World Championships last year was kind of, I viewed as a stepping stone. It was the first opportunity to swim all three of those freestyle events. The aim was to win them all. And then coming that close to the world record last year really showed me that I can do that. So my goal this go around in Rio was to win all three freestyles again and come away with that world record in the 100 free. And that's what we were able to do. So Again, going with that theme, hard work pays off. I worked incredibly hard over the last four years with that, those goals in mind, and it was incredibly you know, exciting and validating and uh, elating just to have those dreams and goals come true. It is a really remarkable feeling. Now, the Washington Post says that you've got some unique swimming adaptations. I want to ask you about this in three parts. First, how do you swim blind? Second, how does your coach help you? And third, how do you minimize what you call gross inefficiencies in the pool? <laughs> so how to swim blind, uh, to me, one of the things I like about swimming is swimming blind isn't all that different from swimming sighted. You know, I, the actual physical, the, the physical attributes of the stroke are, in fact, no different. The real challenge is swimming uh, within the confines of a box. You know, you have a wall on either end and then a lane line on either side. Swimming within that box without getting slowed down by uh, hitting the lane line or hitting the wall is really the challenge. And that's where my, my coach comes in to help me. He uses a tap, what we call a tapper, which is one of our, a, a longer blind cane, a white cane, with a tennis ball on the end. 
And uh, as I approach e either wall, a coach or a teammate will stand on the side. And as I get within about a meter or so of the wall, they'll reach out and tap me in the back with that tennis ball. And that indicates to me, you need to turn now because you're approaching the wall. And if you don't, you'll crash. Um, so that's kind of the, the adaption that we've been able to add in. Um, it's really the only adaption in all of uh, Paralympic swimming. Paralympic swimming is unique in that uh, those with amputations or uh, you know uh, assisted devices, they don't they don't use those in the pool. If you use a wheelchair to get around, you don't use your wheelchair in the water. Uh, whatever you have is what you bring to the table. The only adaption that they allow for is the tapping by blind athletes. So it's a unique kind of aspect of our sport, and it's really neat to watch uh, for those who have their vision. Uh, the 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 last part of that was how do I get over what I call gross inefficiencies? You know, I to me and a few of the other blind athletes around the world, specifically Keiji Kimura from Japan. You know, I don't view my blindness as uh, something that should slow me down. You know, in, in the Paralympics, uh, my teammates are missing one leg, two legs. Some have spinal cord injuries where they're not able to use their legs or their arms. Uh, uh, teammates don't have hands, those sorts of things. Those sorts of physical disabilities, to me, it's very obvious how that might slow them down in the water. For me, I have two fully functioning arms, a fully functioning core and two fully functioning legs. Uh, yeah, it's difficult for me to navigate in the lane, but in my mind, that shouldn't keep me from being as fast as I was, you know, as an able-bodied athlete. And I'm, it's unique. I'm in a unique circumstance where I know how fast I could be. Let's talk about the future. What are some of your upcoming swimming events and how can our listeners check out more about your book and learn all about you? <laughs> uh, so as of right now, I don't have any upcoming swimming competitions. You know, I, I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to perform in Rio. I've worked very hard over the last three years and really haven't let up at all. And uh, that worked out, obviously. But uh, now I need to take some time off, go back to having a personal life, you know, spend some time with my family, and really reevaluate what my goals will look like for the future. And so I don't know how long I'll be out of the water, but I will come back at some point. Um, so I think you know, Tokyo is on the horizon, but nothing, nothing within the next six months or so. Um, as far as though how you could learn more about you know the the story that we've outlined uh, through the show, uh, the the book is out there. The books are at Barnes and Nobles and such. Uh, there's a a Facebook page at Fire in My Eyes USA. Uh, there's a Twitter Fire in My Eyes USA, um, or my personal Facebook page is Brad Snyder USA, as well as my Twitter handle Brad Snyder USA, Instagram Brad Snyder USA, as well as Gizzy the Dog USA is my guide dog. She's on Instagram as well, and we try to post as much as. You know, her life is unique to mine, so we try to we try to highlight that, um, and, and that's that's really how you could track what I've what I've got going on and and the story I'm trying to share. So I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. I think you know I, I it's been it's been an interesting pathway for me, an interesting journey, and I've had a lot of experiences that have really shaped my perspective in some really valuable ways. And uh, I've learned that that is a value to share with our community. We all face challenges, we all face difficulties, and I think. You know, with the right mindsets, you know, we, there's really little that we can't overcome. And, and that's really what's outlined in the book, Fire in My Eyes. All that sounds good. We're going to put some of these links up on the Speaking Out for the Blind website. And Brad, you're an inspiration to us, and we all hope that you continue to swim and win gold. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Before we go, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind, or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website, 
That's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org, and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash for dash the dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. This show on ACB Radio Interactive called The Good Energy Mix, I wonder if that's supposed to help us deal with our utility bills. Tell them not to turn off the power. I need to be on the air. Oh, my God. Or maybe I can get more energy by ordering food from this show. He said he'll take a, a roast beef sandwich with horseradish. Yay, we got food! Or maybe it's the energetic music that's being played. Come get energized with me. Want some great tunes and laughter and fun? Well, the show contains all of this plus much more, and you can hear it every Monday morning, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. You can hear great jazzy tunes, folk music, oldies, and much, much more. So don't miss the good energy mix every Monday with Debbie Hazelton. That's why I'm the woo-woo-wacky witch hazel. <laughs> California. Florida. Iowa. Texas. Guide dog users. Students. IT professionals. Government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention. And operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything.